Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Beyond 28 Podcast, presented by Chase, a show designed to keep the conversation around black history going all year long. We're going to continue to celebrate the excellence, the joy, and the love that is black culture and the black community. Each month, a new episode will explore the influence and impact black people not only have made historically, but also continue to make each and every day. I'm your host, Mark J. Spears, so kick back and relax as we get right into it. This month on Beyond 28, we celebrate the Athlete as Activist, the league that is predominantly African-American. The NBA has woken up to both its power and its responsibility to serve as a beacon of hope and activism to the black community. The NBA has fully embraced the intersectionality of its activist mission. Among all of America's professional sports leagues, the WNBA and the NBA have been the most visible in the social justice fight in the years since former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. The past year has permanently reframed the proper role of sports in public life. From LeBron James founding a More Than a Vote to the fearless activism of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream and forcing then-senior candidate and team owner Kelly Loeffler off the team and out of the Senate for being dismissive about the Black Lives Matter movement. It is worth recalling the proud tradition of athlete activism in the U.S. Think of Jackie Robinson, an example of integrating professional baseball, or Billie Jean King pushing for gender equality in tennis. Think of Muhammad Ali's refusal to fight in the Vietnam War, which inspired the Black Power salute by Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. As Black Lives Matter demonstrations continue to grow, more athletes are now speaking out. Numerous professionals from Major League Professional Leagues have taken to the streets to join protesters. But in the past, the price to pay for speaking one's mind could be devastating to a career. For athletes like Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick, simple crime of speaking out nearly meant an end to their careers. Even today, to have a conscious, moral compass and talk about issues that affect your community is to open yourself up to a broad ugliness from folks on the right. So it's with great awe and gratitude that we dedicate this episode of Beyond 28 to all of you who simply said enough is enough and to all of you who use your platforms to make lives a little better. We salute you. In the next 45 minutes, you'll hear from some amazing athlete activists. First, in our Beyond the Court segment, we go deep with Andre Iguodala. And later, in our center court segment, we catch up with two of the WNBA's most outspoken and fearless women, Natasha Cloud from the Washington Mystics and Shanae Agumake from the Los Angeles Sparks. So kick back, relax, and get ready for some knowledge. I'm your host, Mark J. Spears from ESPN's Undefeated. Welcome to Beyond 28. Our next guest on Beyond 28 is the incomparable Andre Iguodala. If there ever was an award for most interesting cat in the NBA, it's Andre. He's the heir of Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from the NBA's heart, brain, and moral center. 
advocating a host of social justice issues while leading from the court as a three-time NBA champion for the Warriors and the 2015 Finals MVP. In 2019, Iguodala published his critically acclaimed memoir, Six Man, which goes well beyond typical basketball biography, recounting his life from childhood in Springfield, Illinois, to years with the Warriors. It also addresses the racial dynamics of many fan-player interactions and the changing role of athletes in our so-called player empowerment era. Iguodala is also known for his savvy business instincts and has been at the forefront of navigating the worlds of venture capital and technology in the Bay Area. In partnership with Bloomberg, Iguodala created the Players Technology Summit, which convenes top executives and leaders in the technology, venture capital, and sports communities to exchange ideas and share expertise in an educational and empowering forum. Iguodala is also a member of the Board of Trustees for Jumaya Technologies, a leading e-commerce platform widely considered the Amazon of Africa. Andre Iguodala, welcome to Beyond 28. I say this with all sincerity. I don't know if there's a more interesting man on and off the court in the NBA than this month's guest, Andre Iguodala. How you doing, Andre? No, no, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good to get the wheels back uh, rolling again. The season's about to start up and just on a good grind and always enjoy the good grind. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to jump right into it, man. This episode is about the athlete as an activist and how individuals, especially in the NBA, are using their platforms to promote social justice. How has your voice and passion for these issues evolved since first joining the NBA? I think it's just continue to do my research um, as you get older, more experienced, more refined, having a better understanding of the world uh, you exist in and trying to see the world from others' perspectives. Just gathering all this data and trying to evolve with it. Just you know, learn a lot about myself, learn a lot about others and start to learn about what leverage means. It's always the right time to speak up, kind of how you voice your message and through the means, you know, what platforms you push it out through and how you can do it, how important it is to be unified and the message put together to a certain group of guys and having to understand it, who's going to resonate with that message, how far of a reach you can get to being not just you, but amongst others who are revered globally, which is a crazy thing to even say. It sounds crazy coming out of my mouth, but just being a part of their association and seeing the inner workings of how much power, how much influence us African-American men, how we have that influence across the globe. That's collective, second to none. Globally, it's a powerful statement. And when we start to understand that, I think we're starting to understand it more and more. Then we get a little grasp of how far we can go with our message and how much impact we can actually make. Right, I want to kind of bring you back to your childhood. Who were the people or family members or just the events in your life that helped shape your mind to eventually be able to speak out, to be woke, to be an activist? Like, where where did that come from? Yeah, it started at a young age. You know, uh, my mother and grandmother, they weren't afraid of conflict. They weren't afraid to speak their minds. And saw it in action, saw it. The NAACP actually started in Springfield, Illinois. You know, we had the Urban League. My mother worked for Springfield Housing Authority. We had different events that celebrated Black history, Black life, and was always just proud to be who I am. So I spoke about it in my book. I had that foundation very early on, just interacting with people who didn't see me as equal to them from other races and kind of how my mother dealt with that, how she moved forward. All those things, they stick with you. A lot of things from childhood stick with you. A lot of those moments, me just like being at the forefront of it, like seeing it up close and live and in color, uh, kind of just shape the foundation and kind of how I move forward and how I think of life. Any incident in particular really sparked you from your youth? 
Yeah, it was a couple. From being rejected from a housing to rent a home based upon being accepted based on the voice. My mother was really good at being able to move from room to room and be able to converse with different socioeconomic classes. And, you know, she kind of had her, her white voice and then her cultural voice and she can speak different vernaculars. Just seeing that we were accepted to rent a home, but when we showed up in person to, to the owner of the home, the voice didn't match the physical features. Uh, it was just rejected. And then just the different interactions throughout school, having teachers thinking that I was in the wrong class on the first day and that impression, you know, I'm not supposed to be in this pretty advanced class. That occurred a few times at the side eyes. Then over time, you become their favorite student. But being aware of that in the moment, I think that's when I started to see that I was different from those that looked like me or the athletes who I had no idea that athletes struggled in class because it was just normal to me to do well in the class. And as you get older, you start realizing that. You say, okay, you got to take advantage of the opportunity because you're in a unique position. What age were you at the housing incident? I was young, probably like 10, 9, 10. Yeah, yeah, around it. You know, you replaced LeBron James a few years ago as vice president of the NBA Players Association. Part of your mission has been to change the way the league handles its role in facilitating solutions to the persistent inequities plaguing the black community. In what ways has the league stepped up to meet that challenge? And in what ways has things continued to fall short? Well, I think the Disney bubble was a pretty big movement for us as players before, during, and after. There's a financial incentive to keep the business going, and there's a basketball side and it's a financial side. Then you always want the basketball side to outweigh the financial side. You know, the purity of the game is what's most important. But in that situation, what's going on in the world with the pandemic, it was you know, the financial side outweighed it. So there was a lot of talk about what's the point of it all, what's going on with the world. But the lowest on the totem pole economically, they're always hit the hardest in these times. And that's our communities where we come from. So what we did was say, let's make it bigger than us. Obviously, there's a financial side. We do get paid, but we really had a very wide scope or not even wide. It's the opposite of a wide scope. We had a, a scope to zoom in on our communities and how can we be most impactful to them? You know, how can we raise the awareness of what's going on? It's almost like George Floyd situation. I'm not saying it woke America up, but uh, it made us wake up in terms of our voice and expressing it more and more each and every day and everything we do, all our decisions with our branding, how we train, how we wake up, how we think, it's starting to evolve. It's starting to think about the bigger picture and it's not really based on us individually, but more so on our community and larger impact and things that we can do to press forward the movement in the right direction to really get this thing right with what America really stands for. And then you got the Declaration of Independence, you got the Bill of Rights, even on the money it says, you know, all men are created equal, but it's uh, faulted severely since it's inception and uh, a lot of morals and values. Remember back in the bubble, man, I was in there with you. You were certainly one of the more vocal participants in the work stoppage that arrived after the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Take me back to that time. You remember the heat, but you were also part of the union and you're talking to them. <laughs> like, I don't know how stressful it was for you at that time for you and Chris Paul, who was president of the union at that time, Michelle Roberts, the executive director at that time. But take me back to those moments and how you guys came to the conclusion to return back to action. Well, yeah, I think um, give all the credit to Michelle Roberts and getting the right frame of mind place for us to really have some things to focus on in terms of how we're going to go forward with our message and what we're trying to do. So you got different sides of an issue and ultimately it's all the same goal. You know, how can we have our voices heard, felt, 
in terms of how we're feeling as a community, as players. And Michelle just put it in the right perspective in terms of this is the way to be most impactful with your voices and it's the action on the court. So we get the most eyeballs, especially during that time. You know, football hadn't started and baseball was trying to figure it out with their schedule. But we might have been the only big league to be able to exist in that type of environment with the bubble and being isolated with safety measures. And we only have 14, 15 guys per team. So it was feasible the way we did it. We said, you know, we're the most physical athletes on the planet right now. And if we're not in action, people aren't going to hear it as much as they would if we're on that grand stage. All the networks were dying for live content, just trying to make up for the losses on the financial side with everything being shut down. So with all that being said, it was like, here's how we can voice our pain. Here's how we can be impactful. Here's how we can make light of the situation that's been occurring in our community on the grandest stage with the most eyeballs. Here's how we set up the foundation for our committee to the NBA players, the governors to come together and start pushing forward the right agendas to even on the political side, the Jacob Blake bill, which is for a new way of policing the actual police. There's so many different things going on in terms of defunding the police or proper protocols or there was some great things put in place or great things being brought to light or brought to the table. And I think it was a player who had an initiative that he had been working on for quite some time. He was able to bring it in front of some of the more wealthier individuals on the world who have that influence in the right places. Talking about, you know, the state and the national government and how we can push these things forward and how we can play the game and we can have Black Lives Matter on the court or we can talk about small business marketing and advertising during the game. Like all those things we were just able to say, hey, this is a much stronger thing if we're out here playing and we're actually playing for something that's bigger than us. Take me back to your decision of putting group economics on the back of your jersey. I think you were the only one that did that too. It was three of us. It was myself. It was Anthony Tolliver. And I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on a third guy, but it was three of us. And there's a long backstory to that, but essentially it came from David West. You know, David West has spoken into existence and one of those things, no one knew quite what he meant or what it was and, and how it works. And essentially African-Americans are the biggest consumer spenders. So we spend the most money on consumer products per capita because when you talk about populations, we are at the top in the population, but per our population, we spend the most money, but our money is least recycled within our community. So for every $10 we spend, we have the least amount coming back that's spent within the Black community. So group economics is something that's practiced by a few other uh, cultures, and it's very successful in terms of rebuilding your community, putting money back in your community, so that leads to more funding, better schools, where the state is more valuable, and, and that leads to more leverage politically when there's laws put in place and policing put in place and it goes to the fire department, the hospitals, all those things, the, the right infrastructure that are put in place. All those things start with group economics. And when David West first said the word, most guys didn't look too deep into it, but just myself wanted to do some homework and kind of do some back-end uh, research on my own and see what this thing is really about. I saw how it really is and how it brings cultures into the forefront of respect globally and something that our community is missing and wanted to shed light on that. Coming into the league, or maybe even before you got to the league, who were some of the trailblazers you looked up to or people you looked up to in terms of social justice? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's a certain sacrifice that comes with taking on that. I don't know if you call it responsibility, but you know, it's a tall task because there can be financial repercussions based on your views. And that's what I spoke earlier. You got to be very cautious of how you move and how you speak because try to use it to get you to kind of quiet you. I don't want too much riffraff. I don't want smooth sailing. Like I said, they're in it for the business. And for whatever reason, some just have the lack of knowledge. Some just don't care to know or some just don't want to know. There's a lot that goes on where we come from and we trying to you know, write the it is our duty to shed light on these things and try to be a part of the solution. But as you know, they find ways to keep it hush. And, and they do that by being more woke, as we say, as opposed to, you know, just kind of playing it PC. So going back, you had your Jim Brown, you had your Muhammad um, Ali. Those were the main names, not just to say they were the only names, but put Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in there. And it's interesting right now because we're going through this thing with COVID and who should take the vaccine and who shouldn't. And I feel like all these things is always trying to be a push of divide within our communities. And we can disagree, but we're still united in this thing. But even see with someone like Craig Hodges, you know, who his career was kind of lost in it. So, you know, you kind of have to know your profile, where you stand. And sometimes it may be a sacrifice in your career to kind of make a stand for, you know, your beliefs and pushing out what's right and speaking on what's going on for our entire community. So it's ended the career of a few. And even Muhammad Ali took a huge sacrifice on how much time he lost throughout his front. You um, said once it's not a political organization or a political agenda. It's a human agenda. What did you mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean, like I talked about it before, it's like um, it's that divide. Divide and conquer is something that has been used against our community for a very long time. They even talk about crabs in a the barrel. They use that against us. I think what Jay-Z said, crabs don't exist or they weren't meant for to be in a barrel. That's not their proper environment. So different taxes have been put in place to keep us at odds with one another. You go back to the brown paper bag theory, you know, lights versus darks and the house versus the field workers during slavery. All those things were used as a tactic to divide us and keep us from really being unified because they know the power that we have unified. That goes back to group Economics. So um, we talk. We talk about politics as a way to divide us. But historically, we've never really been into politics. We're picking a side, whether this side or that side. But it kind of forces the bigger side to divide us a little bit. So that's what that whole thing was about. Do you think the momentum from the bubble in terms of uh, activism, fighting against social injustice and police brutality has continued or kind of slowed? I think it's continuing because it's always on our minds. I think that like once you're deeply involved in something, you come out of it with a brand new perspective. And so for the guys who, you know, they were, they were trying to just keep their careers on the right track or just their careers are just starting. So it's tough to ask a young guy to do certain things. So as being a veteran, we owe those guys your time, your energy to really protect them and say, okay, you can be a part of the fight, but we'll keep you in a safe haven to where they can't attack you in any shape or form or fashion. But they were able to see it and they were able to feel it, what was going on. So coming out of it, I think our players are always getting smarter and smarter through each generation. Each generation, we say you take care of the next one by setting them up for even better success so i feel like that was great for them to see and go through that and i think guys aren't afraid to speak up anymore and they're ready for action at any given moment you're back with the warriors now and i'm curious when you're on the planes and have those down moments with dre and steph and clay how deep do those conversations get you know, obviously Clay going through what he's gone through. His last game, I actually played with him, which is crazy. But he decided to get back. Not many athletes have gone through what he's gone through and got back. So his perspective, and he's been very open and vocal about 
every moment is precious because it could be taken away from you. And so it's a testament of who he is to get back to full form through what he's went through. So his conversations are a little bit on a different level. We're having, you know, great business conversation. Draymond just having a baby girl. We were talking about that, how deep that goes and, and what that means. And then Steph and I, obviously, we spend a lot of time together on and off the court. You know, our conversations are very, it's on a wide spectrum. So we can go from any end of the spectrum and go very in-depth with what we're talking about and our relationship growing because it's been something very special. Three more quick questions and I'll let you go, man. Appreciate your time. Ultimately, why did you come back to Golden State? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Still trying to figure that out. No, it's just, you know, when I talk about playing with the Warriors, I just smile. I smile a lot, you know, because it was just pure joy playing with these guys and what we were able to build. And you don't really know it when you're in it, but we move the world, you know what I mean? Like the world felt us and did something special. And the new age media and social media and everything that goes into it and politics behind it, it can kind of take it away from it sometimes. Like sometimes you forget to enjoy the moment because you're just like, all right, we did it, but we got to prove that we're worthy. It's like, who are you proving you worthy to? It's like, we already did that by just getting here, but we did something really special that we remember for forever. You know, we still talk about, you know, Bill Russell and Boston Celtics team that won all those championships. And each era, they had their special moments. And we had a very special moment over NBA history. So it always puts a smile on my face. And to possibly end it here, I don't think there's a better ending to my career and what I've accomplished to be with these guys. And I just spoke about three of them. And, uh, that's really what it was. Just being locked in with Draymond, like, really enjoy it. Just seeing Clay get back, really enjoying that. And, and then being with, back with Steph. And I got to see him play uh, at this level from the outside looking and then was very special. Like, you don't get to appreciate it when you're in it, like I said before, because you're just in it and you just focus on one particular task at a time and it's just another task after another task, so you don't really get to enjoy those moments. So seeing him, what he's done in the last year, two years that I've been gone, it's been unreal. And now I can get to really appreciate it and come back and just be a part of it as well. And to end my career, it's, it's going to be, you know, special if it happens that way. And the last question, kind of a two-parter, is this potentially a swan song for you? And also... Have you thought much about, you got so much going on. I know you're prepared for it. Life after basketball and what your plans uh, will be. Yeah, it's, it's funny because thinking that shit, you know, this isn't the first time I thought this might be it. Like, I've had those moments in year eight. I thought, like, you might got one or two left and go enjoy life. Just being the thick of being a professional athlete, like, you're always on guard. You can never just relax. That's on or off the court. So, going back that far, I've thought about it. And then, obviously, over the past couple of years, it's like, step away. So, I don't know. It may be, it may not be. You have practices where it's like, oh, I can do it for a couple more years. So, I had one of those practices already. So, we'll see how the next eight or nine months go and but off the court is a lot going on i'm excited to get to it but I really want to enjoy the game and want to enjoy my teammates so i'm in the thick of that right now so it's just i'm working full time on both sides so my kids you know this is being recorded i apologize because <laughs> i'm like working and working working but it's, it's it's good work it's ultimately for them too well dre man Thanks for coming on Beyond 28. Continued success. Welcome back to the Warriors and enjoy this season. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. In our next segment, we're going to speak with two of my favorite women in the WNBA, Natasha Cloud of the Washington Mystics and Shanae Gumake from the Los Angeles Sparks. Both women exemplify the modern WNBA in that they are both fierce competitors on the court, but off the court are just as fierce, fighting for a host of social justice issues and using their platforms to push forward important causes to their respective communities. 
For Natasha Cloud, that meant gun control and organizing a media blackout in 2019 after shootings near an elementary school in Washington, D.C.'s Ward 8, the neighborhood where the Mystics Entertainment and Sports Arena is located. Shanae Agumake also chose to sit out the 2020 WNBA season using her enhanced media platform. She requested a trade from Connecticut to Los Angeles ahead of the 2019 season for this very purpose, to amplify the experiences and emotions of black women and black female athletes during a time of social arrest around racism. In addition, she became the first black woman to host a daily national radio show with Shanae and Golick Jr. I'm pleased to welcome them both to Beyond 28. I've been really fortunate last couple episodes to keep bumping into my friends. And these are my people right here, man. I love these two women, not only as people, but just what they do in life and what they stand for. Shanae Gumake, Spark Star, does everything off the floor, TV, cares about the world. And then from the Mystics, we got Natasha Cloud, who there's just so much positive I could say about you on and off the court. Shanae and Natasha, both of you have emerged as passionate faces of the WNBA's activism for your various efforts around gun control, voter rights, and leading protest efforts in the wake of George Floyd's murder. I'm going to start with you, Shanae, first. Where did the passion for these efforts first start, and where do you hope to take them into the future? First and foremost, Mark, my main man, (laughs) thank you for having me. The passion for speaking our voice, I think, largely comes from having no choice but to do so. I think it really stems in sports because it taught us to be our best versions of ourselves. I always tell people that the reason why you see a lot of women, Black women in particular, and the greatest collection of Black women in sports, the WNBA, the reason why you see this happening individually and collectively is because when we played the game, we've been taught, first with basketball, care about the last player on the bench as much as you care about yourself. And so every time we go out there... We're trying to win a championship in everything that we do ever since I started playing when I was 10. And we have that notion of making sure we take care of each and every one. Also, the idea that you want to share that feeling of winning with others. Like, it's one thing to win a championship, but it's like, even if you don't like the person to the next of you, like, you did something special with that person that can't be taken away. And there's that mutual respect. Respect that sort of is something that we want that to be emulated just all walks of life. So when we leave the arena, we have those feelings, you know, those emotions, that euphoria. And then we go to society where oftentimes our voices or our points of view or our perspectives are treated, especially because we're black women, as less than. And so we are in that system where we're taught to be strong, literally, to fight for others, to win. And then when we get to our communities, we don't turn that on or off. And so that's a part of our identity. You know, it's funny. You grow up, I'm in Texas, the northwest part of Houston, Texas. I'm Nigerian-American. And you're in the suburbs and you're trying to find your way. Your girl was always the tallest and quote unquote, like the most awkward in the class. And I started realizing, you know what? Sports has given me the confidence to be proud of who I am. What people might see me as different is actually my strength. And I think that perspective allowed me to see where that aligns for others who may not feel included in all conversations. And that's the personal journey for activism for me. Yeah, I think our league is amazing. And I think we're, we're, we are biased. Chanae will also agree that, you know, one part of it is the way our, our families raised us. They raised us to be powerful, independent, outspoken women, to be relentless in whatever pursuit that our passions are. So I give a lot of testament to my parents and how they raised me and my siblings. I'm so proud to be one of 144. 
And I really learned the power of my voice and the power of my platform in 2015 when I got drafted into the league. And like Janae already said, you don't have any other choice because it is our blueprint. It is no secret that the WNBA is always at the forefront of every social issue, whatever it may be. You have, again, a bunch of Black women that make up majority of our league come together and understand the power of our platforms, the power of our voices, and to be that voice for a voiceless. It has been the blueprint since I got in the league, and through that, you find what your passions are. What am I passionate about? What directly affects me? What can I have immediate impact on in the communities that I'm marketed in and then also home? You continue to truck away. Um, but like Janae said, I think basketball teaches us a lot of things, but it really does teach us to be relentless in our pursuit of greatness, and that, that greatness carries over to our community as well. Year 2020, a lot of emotions for a lot of reasons, a lot of pain, and a lot of growth for Black people, too. Both of you guys opted to opt out of the 2020 WNBA season. And I remember reading the news like, wow, they got a lot of strength. My respect for y'all even jumped to a higher level when you made those decisions. I'm going to start with you, Natasha. Can you take us back to your thought process, making that decision, and ultimately now, how do you look back on it, the challenges of it, but also the triumphs of it? It was the hardest decision that I've made this far in my career to sit out that 2020 season. It was a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of you know sending some prayers up and asking for guidance through a really traumatic time as not even a professional athlete, just a Black woman in America. It was a really traumatic time. What led me to that decision is that I didn't need to know George or Brianna to feel that trauma of being Black in America. I am George. I am Brianna. We have the ability to be those people at any given moment. The moment we walk out our door, we can be George. Just laying and sleeping in our beds, we can be Brianna. So I think this notion of this is bigger than basketball, and there's never been this much momentum behind the Black Lives Matter movement, and everyone is now seeing it. You know, it wasn't a shock to us as, as minority Americans or as Black Americans to see George be choked out and, and screaming, I can't breathe, and screaming for his mom. But I think it woke America up. I think it woke the world up to this is what we've been saying. This is why we've been fighting so hard. This is why we've been screaming, we can't breathe, and Black Lives Matter. And so for me, it was I want to be on the front lines. For me, in my kind of realm of activism, it's always been to be impactful means to be present. So I wanted to be on the front lines. I wanted to be in marches. I wanted to sit down in these rooms with lawmakers and sit down and figure out what have we tried, what hasn't worked, what can we do moving forward in the future. And I feel like we need to continuously say this because I'm so proud of the women that went into the wobble as well. There is no one right way to do activism. And so I'm proud of Tanae. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of Tiff Hayes and Renee Montgomery that decided to sit out as well. But I'm really proud of the women that went into the bubble because every part was so prominent in, in literally changing the trajectory of our country. The W literally changed the trajectory of our country and our democracy. And no credit is given and we don't need credit because it is our jobs. Again, it's our blueprint. But I am proud of the work that I was able to do. Um, I kind of hit the ground running and it was a lot. People are like, Oh, you took a season off. You, you good girl. It was a vacation. I was like, oh, no. The work that I did in the community and the work that I did of reliving trauma and being vulnerable and talking about things and trying to progress the needle forward took more out of me than a championship season for the Mystics. Like it was 
there was nights where, you know, my wife is just like, you got to turn your phone off. You got to be able to turn yourself off and you can't save everyone. But again, that notion of this is what I set out to do. So yes, it was hard. It's hard to relive those traumas. It's hard to just be black in America while you're trying to fight for a better tomorrow for your community. But the triumphs are, we literally changed our democracy. And that in itself is, is the reason that I sat out. Yeah, watching what Natasha was able to do was inspiring. And I think, like you mentioned, no matter what role, if you are one of the 144 or outside of the 144 for that season, no matter what role you took, there was impact in so many different ways. It's so funny because for as much as we work our tails off on the court, that one season of work off the court I feel like you realize the exponential power you had. And I think that's just a testament to staying true to yourself and your voice. The energy that people talk about that season, none of it really pertains to the basketball. Even though the basketball has consistently been tremendous, it's people acknowledging for that moment in time the power of what these women were able to do in conjunction with doing their full-time jobs. And so for me... My pathway was different. I wanted to play, but y'all know I've had so many like knickknack injuries and people forget as a professional athlete, we were in quarantine like the rest. My workouts were power walking at the park with my sisters in Texas. For someone as a, that has needed top tier equipment post injury and to be deprived of that, deprived of my doctors, rightfully so because they're saving lives in the pandemic. It was not the best situation for me to have to jump back into playing Mind you, two weeks out of leaving your house, going to your home market, and then going straight into the bubble. I usually take four months of everyday work to be prepared for my body to play. The decision sort of made itself, and I was very grateful to have the LA Sparks support me and say, like, look, this is about your long-term future. I still had guilt. And I'm sure, Natasha, you had guilt because we are wired to want to play. Girl, I see you on the court. Like, that is your lifeblood. That is your energy, and it's the same for me. And so I think that's what motivated us to find ways to continue to amplify the messages of what the women were doing while playing and what we wanted to have people understand from our perspective now that people were listening. And for me, that came through our mutually shared platform, ESPN. And so each and every day while I was working my radio show and then also going on air, it was always reporting the good works of the WNBA in the bubble. And by being a member of the executive committee of the WNBPA, I knew exactly what was happening and the intention. It was awesome to be able to have the microphone and explain why this intersection of sports and society and social justice mattered. It took on a life of its own. And like you said, like you're still trying to process your emotional traumas from what we had been experiencing while also doing your job. But at the same time, knowing that we're doing it together, you know, in various ways through sports, you feel it once you think about 2020, you're like, oh man, that was hella stress. But now it's like, as you mentioned, Natasha, changing the trajectory of the future of our country, the fact that being true to ourselves and authentic to our voices and our roles in different ways helped propel that just reminds you how powerful we can be when we're together. I want to take you guys to where you are now. I know, Shanae, you were able to get this trade to Los Angeles. And Tasha, you're in the nation's capital. How does being in the markets that you guys are help you fight against social injustice? How does it help your platform? And and we'll start with you, Tasha. 
Well, being in the nation's capital is a powerful thing in itself. I have a constant reminder every day of waking up and being able to see literally the capital from my apartment window. And that in itself, it prepares you for your day. We are in the most powerful city in the entire world. And we take full responsibility for that. We take great pride in that. But it also allows our platforms and our voices to be a little bit bigger because we have lawmakers right down the street that we can go and meet with. We can go and protest and, and, and make marches and, and all these different things. But I think I do need to give a shout out to the Mystics and Monumental because they have supported us in every facet. And I know, Chanel, you have talked about how LA has supported you. It's really rare in professional sports to be supported, to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel embraced, and to feel like whatever resource you need, they're going to give it to you. So when, especially when I took on this realm of social activism and really dove into it headfirst, Monumental was there. What do you need? What can we do? Uh, do you need us to, to set up meetings? What organizations here in D.C. do you need us? For us, too, we moved into Southeast D.C., and Southeast D.C. is a part of Ward 8, which is one of our lower economic communities. And for us, we wanted to be a part of the solution um, and not a part of the gentrification that can come with moving a new arena and moving teams in to a lower economic city. So we are fully aware, but I, I just give a testament to D.C., the Mystics um, and Monumental um, and understanding the roles that we play by being in the most powerful city in the entire world and given us whatever resources and, and opportunities we have to make our communities better, they give it to us. And being in Los Angeles, when I would go on and talk about the WNBA, people like Natasha that were making moves and really doing the great work on air, it sort of broadened my platform. And I think actually one of the first people invited to join LeBron's More Than a Vote initiative, the coalition. And when, we were, when I was hearing about it, I was like, wow, this is really profound. And being a part of the L.A. community, him being, you know, obviously the, the big dog of L.A., it was really inspiring just because LeBron realized, although he has so much resources and he has his school and he does so many great things for his communities, he needed everyone in this fight together. Having that community, the More Than a Vote initiative, the idea was to rep your backyard, meaning I would rep LA and I would rep Houston. To be a part of that coalition from the first initial Zoom where you see Kevin Hart on there, like, okay, you gonna hold down Philly. We have Perk on there. Are you and Chanel gonna tag team in Houston? That initial Zoom was so much fun because I was like, wow, like we are all from different areas and avenues of life, whether it's sports, uh, culture, music, politics on their broadcast. But we have this collective shared mission in which LeBron brought us together. And we want to work in unison to push the same message, which was voting. Everyone should be able to vote. And that experience being a part of more than a vote, seeing that take off from the ground up where you see like Tosh, like so many different people on great, huge platforms talking about the same thing in a way that makes sense to empower others. Like I served as a poll worker uh, back home in Houston, uh, you know, for the election. Never thought I would do that, but those concepts and ideas came from those conversations. And that was when I was in Los Angeles and this, you know, just community here, bringing everyone together 
that became probably one of the most memorable things that I'd ever experienced. Helping people vote and seeing their excitement of pulling up in their car and be like, this is my first time voting. I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, don't worry, this is my first time being a poll administrator. Like, I just learned too, but I got you. When I think of my community right now in Los Angeles and also back home in Houston, the best moments in a very trying year came from the collaborative efforts of everyone that we've discovered through this struggle and now have formed lifelong bonds with that we know we can continue to affect change. Watching a WNBA playoff game and, man, y'all be on top of it. It's like you're still wearing T-shirts about voting and encouraging people to vote. WNBA players never rest and to, to the respect of you guys and your sisters. What is it about you guys that pushed you to do things like, I think about the links, you know, what they did years ago, that others, you know, we're going to dip our foot in the water, eventually we'll jump in and yeah, yeah. Okay, now it's popular, we're going to yell. But you guys have always yelled. Like, where did that come from and why has that been sustained? It's a really good question. I know we already kind of talked about the blueprint of our league and the makeup and it's kind of just our identity. But I think it's also a testament to the power of women in general. We're nurturers at heart. That's who we are. We're, we're the ones that bring everyone together. Um, and I think our league is a beautiful example of it doesn't matter what walks of life you come from, what background you, you have, what color you are, what religion you are, what your sexual preference is. It doesn't matter because we always find a commonality. We always find a common ground to stand on together, understanding that our platforms are bigger collectively than they are individually. So I think it just is, again, a testament to the blueprint of our league. It's a, it's a testament to just strong, independent women. Like, I learned to be strong and independent from the way my parents raised me, but it's a different thing when you're surrounded by just powerful, badass women every single day. You just learn the strength of your voice. You learn the strength of yourself. You learn the power that you have, the ceilings that you haven't even begun to touch simply just by being surrounded by different women. It's not even just your locker room. Going to play against LA and seeing the Aguma K sisters, you're like, they are just badass women. But you just see that there's, there's, no, there's no ceiling for you, that you can dream your wildest dreams and it can be achieved not only within this league, but outside of it as well. So I really just believe that it is the blueprint of our league and our league is something special and you can't take that away from us. You know what I mean? Our league was conceived... Um, you know, right after the 96 Olympics, right? And those women went into the venture knowing that they had, they had to be their best for people to even give this a shot. And the fact that we're in our 25th year, it's like when you come in with that notion, knowing that nothing is guaranteed, we're out to prove to the world that we are stronger, we are more impactful, we are valid just being ourselves, like that becomes your DNA. So when you come into the league, like I remember... I, I got drafted as a rookie, and Tamika Catchings like pulled me to the side. It was like, Janae, you got this. Like, just know that you know basketball is one thing, but like, you hear those things, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm talking to Tamika Catchings. Like, mind you, my second game, she dropped me, and I'm so glad that she missed the shot because like it would have been everywhere. When you have that energy, and there's like this idea that you're doing this for the next generation, it just makes the tough decisions easy. For instance, like you said, Mark, you know, Minnesota, you know, especially given what the state has dealt with the, the past year or two for the Lynx and even the visiting team, which I believe at the time was my sister's team, was it the Sparks? I can't remember. 
for both teams to be on the same page in the height of so much going on in that community and say, look, we have to do this for us, knowing that even potentially we could be fined, even potentially this could cause problems for the seasons to come. But it's like, this is just who we are. This is who we have become. And I think realizing the power of ourselves without our jerseys has made us even better as players as well. Because now we have this idea like, oh, like collectively we can't be stopped. And so now the public is catching on like, oh, these women, it's not only supporting women that are doing great things, but these women ball and hoop, like, where have I been? And that's why I think there's so much energy with women in sports because you get so much more than just sports. It's fun when you think about how this league makes you in the ways that professional sports, and I don't want to like play the comparison game, but like there are a lot of problems that come with other leagues that this one as a person, you can leave, leave and be like, I feel better as a person by playing in the WNBA. I think that's a rare occurrence just in any field. Y'all are amazing. And I want to leave y'all with this. There's going to be some young lady listening that like adores you. When you talk to the youth, even the boys, like, what do you tell them? What words of wisdom can you guys leave them with? To play on your level is amazing. To do what you do is selfless. You know what I mean? Like, y'all don't have to do these things. And you put the world before that. So I commend you both for everything you do. And I don't know if people tell you that enough. I'm going to start with you, Natasha. So when these kids come up to you and and they look in your eyes, like, what, what do you tell them? What's your best advice on and off the court for them? First and foremost, I want kids to see themselves, regardless if it's young boys or girls, I want you to be able to see yourself in me. I want you to dream your wildest dreams and know that whatever you dream is obtainable simply by seeing us. It doesn't have to be sports. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, whatever you want. And that kind of leads into something that's grounded me for years now is know your why. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Know who you're doing it for. Because when you know those things, adversity in life is going to happen. And there's going to be times that you, you know, feel like you can't push on. But when you know your why, nothing can knock you off track. And so my why for me has always been my family. They always ground me. They always kind of keep me centered. Don't let my head get too big. But through that, whatever adversity comes my way, whether it is basketball or it's just life in general, I know my why. So it just keeps me kind of on my path. Also, understanding the work that you put in to whatever your passion is, the work that you put in, it will always give back to you. If I'm one foot in and one foot out with basketball, I'm going to have a one foot in. I'm going to have kind of a half-assed result from it. But if I give my all, if I give 100% of myself to this game, I give 100% of myself to fighting for my community, God will always give back. It will always give back. This game will always give you something back. So the two things I really do say is know your why um, and always make sure you're giving 100% to whatever your passion is. And, you know, you brought up the word, Tasha, existence. And one thing that I've realized, a lot of times people look to us now, you know, like, oh, W, like, y'all are doing it. I'm like, oh, where y'all been, okay? But when people talk about social justice or change or impact or greatness, whether it is sports or society, whatever you want to do, whatever your passion is, I think people think it has to be big and loud to be meaningful. And for kids or for someone that is trying to find their way, you said existence. I always say my existence is the resistance. So if you are other, if you are different, if you are neglected, or if you are not able to have as much resources as someone else, existing in the spaces that were not built for you, that is winning. 
that is change, that is transformative. And so I think we are fortunate to have a mic, to have a pulpit, to be able to speak our mind, but just because we're doing it doesn't mean that you're doing it has to be the same as us doing it. Being a great basketball player and being in the WNBA and being in the NBA should always be a goal. But what about being a coach? Or what about being the mayor of a city that brings in a team? There's so many different roles and pathways for success. And just existing in that space, however you are, is important. Because we are women's basketball players, we deal with a whole lot of extra. That tends to be, at times, negative. Our mission is hoop is hoop. And everyone that gets hoop, NBA players included, yourself, Mark included, people understand that fundamentally. For the next generation to not encounter the same problems or challenges, especially as women, what I tell the young kids at camp or the young children, boys, turn and look at a young girl that's there, you know? And boys, tell the girls, I got your back. And I sort of tell them like, hey, if a young girl wants to play, say, I got your back, yeah, let's play together. And doing that one small gesture can change the life of so many people, can change how you think about women in the boardroom or letting women speak when they have something to say. I tell the young girls to stand up and say, I can do anything. And know that, yeah, there might be challenges. You're in a room full of, you know, usually it's fewer girls and boys, but I can still do anything. I can hoop with them. I can make my voice heard. You know, realizing that we're all in this together and that we have to create space for one another and for women to feel empowered each and every day. Well, ladies, I want to say this too. You mentioned the bandwagon. I'm going to challenge the people that have not been to a WNBA game to get in the bandwagon because it's starting to get full. Tasha, when I went to that game in Chicago, it was packed. It was hard to get in, and and I think people are finally seeing the light. I'm telling folks, watching on TV ain't the same. You got to go in person. These women could go, and this is the elite league of the world on and off the court. Y'all got everybody beat, so... Thank you for being on Beyond 28. Thank you for being amazing hoopers, and, and thank you for, for being world changers. Love you both, and uh, thank you for your time. Love you too, big bro. Love you, Mark. Appreciate you as always. That's all the time we have today on Beyond 28. I want to thank our guests, Natasha Cloud, Shanae Gumake, and Andre Iguodala. If you like what you heard and haven't done so, please go to the Beyond 28 page in Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. It makes a huge difference. I'm your host, Mark J. Spears from ESPN's The Undefeated. Thanks for listening. do y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast